All right. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today, Cassidy. I'm so honored to be here. My name is Chao Wenting, and I'm a conductor originally from Taiwan and currently living in Atlanta, Georgia. I am the conductor for Peabody Youth Orchestra in Baltimore, Maryland, and also the assistant conductor for the Augusta Symphony in Georgia. I also direct the two orchestras at Georgia Tech, and I'm the founder of Girls Who Conduct, an organization helping women conductors and non-binary conductors at various stages of their trainings and career. Awesome! We're so happy to have you here and to share all of your experiences、uh, today. To get some background knowledge from you, so everybody knows where you're coming from,、uh, what got you started in music in the first place? I started music when I was very, very little because my mom wanted to be a musician, but it was not practical, not really allowed in her family. When she was growing up, she came from a very big family. She had nine siblings, and、um, her her father died、uh, when she was only five years old. So they were basically raised by the older brothers.、Um, so she really loved music, but there was no no chance for her to sing in choirs or to play piano. So she really wanted her kids to have the opportunity to study music. So we had a piano when I was little. I started banging on the keys,、um, maybe since I was three,、um, or maybe smaller. And I started going to a music program. It's a little bit like the pre-college program, but at the elementary school level. So from the first grade, I was learning piano at school. We had school from eight to five, every single day since first grade. We learn. Everything about music. We had lessons. We sang in choir. We took、um, classes like musicianship, sight singing, and、um, music music appreciation, and all that thing. And by third、um, grade, you have to learn a second instrument in addition to piano. And I picked、um, violin. And then I grew up, became an amateur musician, and later on, and come back here. That's awesome. So, what made you want to become a conductor instead of just, you know, an instrumentalist? I realized I didn't want to be an instrumentalist for a very silly reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, when I was little,、um, we had to take the final exam, like juries, every semester, and.、Um, My hands are always super cold in the winter, and Taiwan is a tropical island. If you know a little bit, it's at the southeast of China, so it's pretty warm throughout the year. But once in a while, or as you know, there will be storms, snowstorms during audition weeks. So it's always really cold during jury week when I was little, and because Taiwan is a tropical island, we don't have heaters. We just Wear a lot of clothes when it's really cold, and so my fingers were always always freezing. So I made up my mind when I was、um, in third grade, I didn't want to become an instrumentalist because I felt I would suffer so much just trying to play my <laughs> instrument. But then、um, there was a choir competition between classes at my school. So、um, we, I was in the music program, but the music program is a part of the public school system. 
So it's one special class and all the other classes in my school, they were just regular classes. So the music class couldn't compete in the choir competition, but we had to do a demo. So like we opened the competition by singing two pieces and the teacher couldn't conduct the students and they had to pick one of us to conduct. So we had a conducting lesson. Everybody learned to conduct and that's that's the first time I realized, oh, that's something that I might want to do, but I haven't really made up my mind. I just thought that's something really cool. And I might want to try that when I grow up. That's really cool. And and such a unique sort of musical development experience compared to, you know, what we have over here in the U.S. It's very different. And it really trains the whole musician. You were talking about taking musicianship classes and things like that from a very young age. That's very different than a lot of programs over here where we just start on an instrument and that's pretty much it. And you don't really get too much music theory training or musicianship training until you're much older. Um, so I think that's really interesting and also really cool that you had that conducting experience from such a young age um, as well. So you kind of knew what you wanted to do going into your university experience. So I want to talk about that next. So how did your schooling uh in, in your multiple degrees that you have, how did that prepare you for your professional life today? How did that training prepare you for what you do now? So I actually started my formal music training much, much later because when I was going to college, I was debating between going to a conservatory or going to a regular university. And, um, Still back in Taiwan, there was no bachelor degree offered in conducting. And I knew I wanted to be a conductor if I go that route. So I talked to my mom. I said, okay, I had a choice to maybe go to a conservatory and pick a random major, maybe pick up violin or or composition or theory or whatever, just to get through the four years and get a degree and do conducting at the graduate level or I try something else, um, just make music my hobby or something that I love doing outside of my profession. Uh, my mom encouraged me to try the second route. She said, oh, maybe you can just keep music as something that you love, that's something where you can relax and, and just help you from the really stressful life um, and work. That would be really nice. So... I went to law schools and thought, um, so in Taiwan, law degrees, and it's like medical schools, they are undergraduate degrees. So I have an mm -hmm. undergrad, I have a bachelor in laws, actually in financial and economic laws. And um, I thought I was becoming a judge or a lawyer or a law professor back then. And just someone who also loves music or plays an instrument. Until the senior year, I had a chance to do a study abroad program and I went to the Netherlands because they had scholarship. And I had I used the scholarship to travel around Europe and I visited a friend in Berlin and got them student rush ticket to see the Berlin Philharmonic. It was only five euros. And I sat on the <laughs> choir bench right behind the timpanis and they play <laughs> symphony fantastic that night as a violinist i had no idea how loud timpani and brass <laughs> actions are 
ever. <laughs> that was the very first time I heard this piece without recognizing it because I couldn't hear any of the tune from the violin yeah. from the back. Yeah. From the back, and it was so loud, but it was so awesome because I was just sitting there. I felt I was part of the group. I was part of the awesome musicians that I was making arts with them, and I felt so touched. It was it was such an emotional night, and that night when I walked out of the Fiamoni, and I asked myself, is is this what I want for the rest of my life to touch people, or do I want to win cases or judge people or help business people making more money or fighting for injustice? Like, which one is really my calling? And I decided, okay, I, I want to try to be a conductor. I didn't know if I could do it or not mm-hmm. because I was 22 already. I thought it's pretty late. I don't have any formal training, I, even though I grew up playing an instrument with some basic um, understanding of those subjects, but I didn't go to a conservatory. So I thought, um, it could be just totally too late or it could be totally no hope that I can, I might have no talent at all. So I went back home after I finished the study abroad and I gave myself two years. I said, okay, in this two years, I'm going to um, work um, part-time to save some money. And I started going to conservatories and audit all the courses that I could find that I felt related to conducting. So I basically created a curriculum for myself. I audited um, music history, music theory, form and analysis, orchestration, instrumentation. I went to conducting classes. I just went to every single class and I asked the teacher, I say, hey, I'm a student in another university, but I'm interested in the subject. Can I just come in and sit in your class? Some of them say yes, some of them say no. but that's how I learned everything and prepared myself. I also work at the research center in my university to save money to take conducting lessons. So I give myself two years, say, okay, I need to get in a program. Um, if I don't get anything in two years, it's, it's probably too late. It's probably a sign from God that it's not for me. And mm-hmm. after the first year, um, I took the entrance. I applied for only one program in, back home in Taipei because that's the best program, and I won't only want to go there. And I forgot you actually need to practice taking auditions because I haven't been <laughs> taking auditions as much. So I forgot how nerve wracking that could be, and of course mm-hmm. I didn't get in. Um, so I had another chance. That was my last chance. And I applied for every single school <laughs> in Taipei. I also applied to 15 schools in the United States, just like trying to really getting somewhere so I can get started. And I was really lucky. I got um, four auditions here in the States. I came and auditioned and I got one um, admission from Mercer University that's in Macon, Georgia. It's about... 80 miles south from Atlanta. And I also mm-hmm. got in four programs in Taiwan. So I talked to my teacher. I said, okay, should I stay home and just do a master's degree or should I come to the state to go to Mercer University? It's a relatively smaller program that not a lot of people have heard of. And my teacher really encouraged me to come to the state 
he said, because I don't have a bachelor degree and I have learned some other things. And he felt I'm like a, he felt I was like a a slice of cheese that have a lot of holes on it. <laughs> it looks okay. It might taste okay, but it has a lot of holes. So mm -hmm. he wanted me to be in an environment that has no distractions that I can really study and learn as much as I can to fill all the holes. So I came to the stage in 2007 and I did a master's um, degree there. And I also played piano for the um, instrumentalist and also for the opera. And so I ended up getting a dual um, dual degree and also collaborative piano because I played so much for the scholarship. Um, and then I <laughs> thought I would just get a degree and go home, find a job, get married, and that's it. Um, but my second year of the study, there was a workshop, conducting workshop at CCM. That's short for College Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati. I went there and I really felt connected with um, Professor Mark Gibson. And he invited me to audition for the program. And I, I went and I did another master's there and finished a DMA at Eastman. Um, so it's kind of how I got all the degrees. And I know this is a very long answer to your question. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I love it. Um, but what I learned um, are one, I think I didn't realize what connection was or what networking really meant when I'd heard about people talking these terms mm -hmm. that you need to have connections people um, introduce you to jobs or you know you met people at school that's uh, one of the best things I didn't understand what that means when I went to school but I did um, looking back I met so many awesome people there were so many great teachers that I have learned so much from from all of them and I would say each of these three programs are the best thing that had ever happened in my life they changed mm -hmm. my not just my career but made, they changed my life path entirely and I'm really grateful for the teachers to mm -hmm. believed in me and saw something in me that I didn't realize or I didn't believe that I had <laughs> They saw talent in me um, and encouraged me to become a better me. That's awesome. And what a great story as well. Um, I know some some folks are often discouraged if they start on one career path and they change to another career path, especially something so specialized as music. I know multiple people who have um, bachelor degrees in, in one content area and then they move into music and oftentimes they feel very discouraged because they're around people who have all feel like they have all this experience and all those things. And so your story is very inspiring to those folks that, you know, may have some self-doubt right now. Should I go back to music school? Should I pursue this degree? And that's really amazing that, that you can share that story and, and really inspire others in that way. And now you conduct multiple orchestras. So you have the Peabody Youth Orchestra, which you are um, the orchestra director of. And you also recently uh, became the conductor of the Augusta Symphony. So you have, you know, an adult orchestra <laughs> and you also are, work with kids, which is awesome. So you got the two facets there. So 
what is uh, the experiences like working with both of those orchestras and, and what are some similarities and differences that you see, you know, working with a youth orchestra and then also working with, with adults? So I do want to add one thing to um, your mm-hmm. point. I spent my first five years regretting that I made the decision to switch to music too late. I felt yeah. so behind. I felt mm-hmm. that I was always trying to catch up and I would never catch up. I remember when I first went to Eastman and I had to conduct a Brahms symphony during the conducting session. So we had a conducting um, orchestra as a lab orchestra. And one of the cellists said, oh, this Brahms symphony, I've played it. This is my sixth time playing it. She had went to a lot of music festivals um, or mm-hmm. she played under some really great conductors in her youth orchestra experience. While I felt so ashamed that as a doctoral student, I am just learning it for the first time while someone that I'm conducting had so much more experience or understanding of music. And who, who am I to tell her what to do? Who am I to lead the ensemble of great musicians who had studied their instrument so many more years than me grabbing a baton. It was a very, very terrifying feeling that you never feel you're enough. You feel you're just faking or like you don't know what you're doing. And I want to say that because I know it's, it's so common for a lot of people, for conductors especially, but also for everyone that you don't feel, um, you don't feel you're enough. But what I learned much later is my life experience had its value. It made who I am. So I would have a different approach to the music that I'm conducting. That's what I bring to the table. That is totally different from someone else. Even It doesn't matter if I'm conducting it for the first time, if someone else is conducting their 10th or 20th time, it doesn't matter. As long as it's genuinely you, that you have something that you want to connect with people through the music, you're enough. That's all we yeah. that's all we need. You don't need to compare with you 10 years ago or you 10 years later or someone else's also on the stage or on a different stage. But see it's so hard to see your own value because as musicians we're so sometimes so fixed in the perfection or so fixed in the things that we can still improve on that's great because we can always learn and we should always learn and continue to um, improve ourselves but also recognize what you have to offer at every single moment as long as you are doing the best you can for the moment, it's good enough. And coming back to your question, so I am the assistant conductor for Augusta Symphony, which is a, a professional ensemble as the assistant. I conduct occasionally based on the music director's um, um, assignment. So this, I started this job in September and I have conducted a piece on the men's stage um, concert and also the holidays and the outreach concert it's very different as opposed to 
the rehearsal span. So for、mm-hmm. a regular concert, we have maybe three or four rehearsals, and that's it. And for the holiday concert, it's one rehearsal and go. So you have to、mm-hmm. be much much more efficient, and also the players are fully prepared. So they pretty much know the music. They need help from you, mostly for things they can't hear or they can't judge, such as balance. They can't really tell、yeah. how it sounds outside,、um, or things that you need to be unified, like tempo or interpretation and that kind of thing. So when you have very short amount of time, you go for those big pictures first. With Peabody Youth Orchestra and also the、um, Georgia Tech orchestras,、um, so at Georgia Tech we have two non-major orchestras, but、um, because it's a technology school, they are all very bright students. They learn an、mm-hmm. instrument for many many years. They might even consider going to a conservatory at some point.、Um, the rehearsal span is much longer compared to a professional orchestra. Usually, we have six to eight weeks. To prepare for a concert, and the challenge is one. While we have a longer period of time to go deeper into the music, you have to really build on what you had last week. So it's much、mm-hmm. more、um, spread and spread out. So you know, like when you went to lessons last week, you for you remember maybe twenty percent of what the teacher told you, and、yep. you probably only practiced twenty percent of what your teacher told you. Yeah,、so、it's probably <laughs> only three percent of what was taught, <laughs> and then your teacher had to build on that and try to find a variety of creative ways to tell you the same thing, and you know that well as a teacher. You find like two thousand different ways to tell them not to rush, <laughs>、mm-hmm. or ten thousand ways to play together, or to watch the conductor. That all kind of thing. So it's、um, constantly engaging the musicians, which is true. I think for any ensemble that you are working with, you want to be constantly engaging and being helpful and know. What support they are needing right now, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and everything that you're talking about with with your kids that you have in youth orchestra just resonated with me. Just working with kids in general too is just I I teach fifth through twelfth grade bands, so I have you know ten year olds to eighteen year olds, and no matter the age, the practice habits and the rehearsal habits are the same. So that is so true. I found myself laughing when you were talking about that, and. Yeah, there there is some definite differences there, and and it's it's such a joy to work with kids though, and and to see those like those light bulb moments go off when they get something too. So I I really enjoy working with kids,、um, as well. And so you know you have all these facets to your career, and and one thing that really stuck out to me, I was kind of stalking your website a little bit and reading your bio and just you know reading up on you a little bit. Um, and one thing that really resonated with me is that you are a champion for new music and commissioning new works.、Um, uh, you are actively commissioning music, and you've uh, you've uh, premiered over twenty new works、um, as of when your bio was updated. So, <laughs> and it might be higher now. But、uh, can you talk a little bit about、uh, your passion for commissioning new works and what that kind of means to you philosophically as as a conductor? I stumbled 
onto the new music field. To be honest, I'm not one of mm-hmm. those conductors who began loving new music and then go into classical music route. Um, I know I have some a few friends they came to the music field because they they loved the creative sound and all that. I from my background, I had the very traditional training, very dramatic in a way that we learn. You know, I you can yeah. imagine that you learned um sight singing, sight reading, and um dictations since first grade. <laughs> so I started and um I started because it was what was expected. To be totally honest, um, there was part of the degree program. Everybody back then, uh, when I went to school, it we didn't really emphasize on niche that much, and the masters of conducting students were expected to be able to do anything and everything. So mm-hmm. to get the, your degree, you have to have experience in class pieces from the classical era, from the romantic era, um, a little bit works with voice, either um, concerto-ish um, type or aria kind of thing, or assist in opera and then also new music. Um, what the actual pivotal point happened at Eastman. So at Eastman, there is a composition competition every year and the composition student can compete by submitting a work for orchestra and the winner has the piece performed by the orchestra next year. And in a conducting studio, it's always the newbie that gets that job. Because as you can imagine, <laughs> everyone wants to conduct Brahms or Tchaikovsky or something fancy, Strauss, Mahler. Um, so the newbie in the studio will be assigned to do the new music. And when I first entered the studio, it was a piece by I don't I think some of your listeners might know him, Tommy Dorothy. He Mm-hmm. was a violinist back then in the undergraduate program. He also played in orchestra. I think he went on to Rice um, and study composition. He wrote a really great piece called Three Pieces for Orchestra. It's actually like three movement. And I studied it so hard because it was a difficult piece to conduct. It has a lot of different sessions of different materials and different tempos. And I want to make sure that I hit all the tempo and transitions carefully. So I, when I study, I set like five different metronomes just to practice going back and forth between all of them so I can hit them right. And my teacher saw it and he thought I was crazy. And I told him <laughs> I'm studying just like I studied Brahms because I wanted to do it well. And after the premiere, the head of the composition department back then come to my teacher and say that he was so pleased with my work that he could actually see the music in my conducting. And that's that's one of the best compromises I, have, I was ever given. And then because of that, I became the go-to person for all new orchestral music. And my teachers say, okay, they love you, so you should do it. And I became mm-hmm. just the one, keep doing it, keep doing it. And then I also, so I learned how to how to love it. It's it's a it's an odd thing to say, but 
I did it so much to a point that I got really good at it. I really, I got mm-hmm. really good at helping the orchestra through the rehearsal and do a good performance. I think there is a special skill set for that, because when orchestral musicians see new music, their first reaction is, "What is this? Why are we playing it?" Yeah, and they don't want to spend so much time looking at it. They are either terrified or just <laughs> they they just don't like it. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the orchestral world is still very much this. So I learned very quickly to be able to um to work with the composer and okay actually I should say to work as the bridge between the composer and the musicians and together hold everybody to perform the best we can. And then mm-hmm. I found it to be really fulfilling because I got to talk with the composers and give um, them my um, feedbacks. Of course, some of them took it, some of them not so much. They might be offended some <laughs> at times. <laughs> and I have so many st- stories that I can tell you. Um, <laughs> like once I received the score, the final score two hours before the concert. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, because they, they they kept trying to change things and um and then they decided to just printed me a new score. I say, Can you just tell me where were the changes I can mark into my old score? They're like, There were too many. I don't have a list. I, I just give you a new score. I say I can't connect from the new score because I need my marking and my notes. Everything is my old score. I need to transcribe it. I don't have time to do it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't quite understand. They say, No, 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 just just use this new one. It's it's great this one is right um but i learned there were sometimes some disconnections between the composition training and discipline and how the ensembles work especially in professional orchestras with union members it's so expensive to have anything Mm -hmm. done every second is money and we yeah, we you we can't we can spend time and money on clarifying if that's a fortissimo or is that a fortississimo, if that's an A or a flat, is that a B or like we don't have time for that. Um, while I felt I was much more useful in catching those things for composers and help in their training. And also helping them to find their voices in the process. So I started um, working with a lot of the young com- composers. Um, I actually just conducted um, a piece by Xin Lei Chen. She's a Taiwanese composer. We both graduated from uh, CCM. Um, she had a new piece called Prayer that was commissioned by CCM. They just did a premiere two months ago and we had a... Um, second performance of the piece yesterday at the time of the recording. So through that, she was still learning from her first performance of the piece. She made some changes and then we could discuss that every after every rehearsal, I would give her some feedback on how I think about the piece can continue to grow. And um, she described it. It's like 
it's like having a baby together. Um, so、mm -hmm. the interpreter, the conductor, has half of the say of how this piece will become, while the composer has the other half, and we have to work hand in hand in the creation of this art. And it's it's something that I. Fell in love too. <laughs> Sometimes it's painful. I would say like <laughs> childbirth is never just sheer <laughs> joy.、Um, <laughs> but I every time I I do the I conduct the concert, I felt it's so worth it. It's just such a great feeling to be a part of the future of orchestral repertoire. How exciting is that? Maybe one of the pieces that I commissioned or that I helped、um, created. Would become a great masterpiece. Oh, I should mention Jennifer Jolie's、um, "Light Way."、Um, I think she originally had the、um, German title、uh, "Lichtbeck," was a piece that I commissioned for intermediate band, and I told、mm -hmm. her we really need good music for educational purposes because there are so many bad educational、Absolutely. band pieces. Yeah,、um, I, I agree. Yeah, back then I was conducting、um, the second concert band at Georgia Tech, and I said I'm so tired of playing bad orchestral transcriptions, or some really dull piece. Can you write something that is interesting, that is not just loud and fast, that has musical moments that I can build on and challenge the students while I can teach something? Can you just write a piece for me? And Now the piece is performed everywhere at all state and at、um, CBD, and I'm so proud of her. But it's it's something that I felt so good that I'm making an impact. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I completely agree with that. There is that gap of band literature that is. Actual musical quality at a young age, for sure. I, I completely agree with that, especially at the middle school level.、Um, just being a band director myself, I struggle a lot with finding repertoire、um, for my middle school ensembles to play. High school, not so much, because I I feel like a lot of composers are more encouraged to write for high school and up. And it's and we don't have enough、um, people writing for beginners in that like that middle level, right? That sweet spot. So I really appreciate your your work there, and I and I think that's really awesome that we're championing championing that because I I do have multiple conversations with folks that are composers about the need for writing for more school ensembles and and that sort of thing as well. And and there are people out there that are doing it, which is awesome. And, and I think that that's that's an issue that. People are more and more aware of, and I think are trying trying to compensate for that. And there's all these wonderful databases out there now where you can find works by, you know, folks that are of underrepresented communities that are writing for these school groups. And I think that's really awesome that we have the internet for that reason, <laughs> and that it's a lot easier to find music、um, in that way as well. So I completely agree. Yes, totally. And as you say, I think totally for、um, bands, grade four or five, there are still some really good music. But for like two、mm -hmm. or three, three is kind、yep. of hard. They are good enough to know they were bad, <laughs> <laughs> not good enough to play great music. It's yeah, it's like the teenage um, <laughs> all the things about teenage. It's a、uh, very awkward. 
yes (laughs) period and i just want so much more good music for the formative time of a musician also if they can be exposed to better music better taste they will become better musicians for sure Mm -hmm. oh absolutely i completely agree and another part of your career is that you founded uh girls who conduct and that's how I found you as well, because um, the Instagram for that account is amazing. And I just love all the posts you have. And I'm like, yes, girl power. This is great. Uh, can you talk a little bit about a little bit more in depth about uh, what Girls Who Conduct is? And can you also tell us a little bit about what kind of inspired you to create Girls Who Conduct? Yes, sure. Um, I have to give credit to my colleagues because I suck at social media and all of them know that. Um, right now we have a social media director, Johanna Lenny. She is totally awesome. But before she joined us, um, the two Michelles, Michelle DeRoso, Michelle Raffano, and also Hannah Nachman, they were the social media team. They did so much work um, in promoting and connecting with the rest of the world. I just want to make sure that I have a shout out to them. (laughs) So Girls Who Conduct was founded um, through the model of Girls Who Code. That was a Mm. STEAM program helping young girls to be exposed to STEAM coding and technology um, resources not necessarily in the hope of all of the girls going through the program will become a scientist or an or like a tech, technician or um, someone works in IT, but to normalize girls choosing this career path or girls working in this field. And right now we have three active programs there is a high school and college program that just started actually um, this past weekend in mid-February. It's now an annual program. We take girls and non-binary musicians from age 16 and above to who are interested in knowing what conducting is or what a profession in conducting might be. And it's a six-week virtual program we talked about conducting aspects and also um, possible career path. And we talk about school study, rehearsal techniques, programming skills. And um, this year we added wellness to be able to monitor your mental health. While we thought that was so important, especially during pandemic. And we help with resume, for example, resume corrections and all that. So it's actually a very introductory mentorship program. And we create a network for all these um, young musicians and girls to be able to ask questions at a very safe place when they don't feel they are judged or being ev- constantly evaluated or criticized. So that's the that's our pioneer program. And from there, we have also a new program called the Early Career Program. Program that is a pairing program. So we take mentors and mentees, and so we pair them based on their experience and also their field. So the mentors provide, um, like, so the mentees 
have access to those mentors, their personal mentors, and they can use the time to ask any question and seek guidance as you need. So it's a way to connect people who are actually like just right behind me or even just like around the same career path with me. So going to um, just going to the job market or about to or going to grad schools that you are think more seriously thinking about going into this profession that you have someone to guide you through a lot of the confusions maybe um, or give you advice and suggestions and connect you with other people. We are also having a um, joint fellowship program that is um, founded by me and my dear friend, Dr. Timothy Verville, who is the music director and conductor of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra. So it's a whole year long program. We selected six men, um, six fellows. They coming for three weekends for their residency. During this three weekends, we do conducting workshops and talk about business and to do other um, activities and have Zoom sessions in between. Um, so those are the three programs. So you can see Girls Who Conduct mostly provide support to conductors from a young age to early career, mid-career, through um, connections, networking, and mentorship programs. And how this was started was, it's a long story. So about five to 10 years ago, um, people started to notice or to talk about the issue of gender imbalance in the classical music world, especially mm -hmm. on the podium. That was yeah. when Marion Alsop became the music director of the Baltimore Symphony. And she was the only woman um, of, uh, she was the only woman of a music director for all the major American orchestras during the 10 years time until she stepped down. Now we have Natalie in coming to Atlanta next year and she's still the only one. So in this decade, there were a few programs that started to support women conductors specifically. One of the earliest one was funded by a conductor called Alice Farham. She is based in UK and she first partnered with Morley's uh, College in London, and now she's partnering with the Theomonic Society. Um, so they offer conducting workshops for women conductors only. And I went to the very first few programs that she offered because I was, I was a little bit not sure. I was like, do we really need this? Why can't we just learn with everyone else? Why can't we just have a friendly or understanding teacher to teach everybody together? Why do we have to be separated from men? Or it felt a little bit like, okay, if we compete with men, we can get in because we're not good or we need special treatment. So I had some doubt and I went to the workshop and it was amazing. It was really amazing. I went to the um, opera workshop. We worked with a young artist program in, um, in Royal Opera House and with their coaches, the singers were amazing. And also the teacher um, shared with us her experience and also some of the uh, barriers that is 
hard to be understood by um, the privileged group or the privileged community. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the very subtle nuances that people might not notice, but when there are so many nuances that you have to deal with or to be fighting with every single day, it becomes very annoying and very unproductive to your work. That's yeah. when I realized, oh, so there is some great things about those programs. And through Alice, I was introduced into the Dallas Opera um, Hearts Institute for Women Conductor. That's also like one of the most um, prestigious program here in the United States. I became a fellow um, in that program and I got connected to a lot awesome women colleagues. So I started talking to people. I wanted to find out why don't girls want to be conductors? Because mm-hmm. from what I told you at the very beginning of our conversation, I knew I wanted to be a conductor at a very young age. I just didn't know if I wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. I knew if I were becoming a musician, I am going to be a conductor. But that was not the experience of a lot of my colleagues. And I wanted to find out what was the triggering point. What, what, what can we do to encourage people to come into this profession? I want to know why and how. So I surveyed um, about 130 conductors and asked their experience what made them interested into conducting? Was anything special about it? Um, when did you realize you want to be a conductor? And I asked a whole bunch of questions. What I found was the majority of people became interested in conducting for two reasons. One is a mentor told them that they have talent in conducting. They should mm-hmm. try it. The other one was they had experience conducting musicians and it felt so good. So they wanted to be a conductor. So we see those are the two really important things for young people, mentorship and opportunity. And those are very often given to boys at a much Mm -hmm. younger age. They are praised for their creativity, thinking out of box while girls were praised for following rules, that you're good at your, doing your work, you're good at listening, while we were not encouraged to stand up and lead or stand up and take everybody with you and argue with other people. So I felt I have to do something, but I didn't know what yet. And it was also um, a time where my I didn't see my career taken off as um, right now. It's three, four years ago. I was also a little confused. I was like, am I really good at this? I finished school. I got a few gigs, but um, I didn't build my momentum. Maybe I was not good. I had some self-doubt and I was going through depression for a few years. Um, it was a very mm-hmm. dark moment of my life. I didn't, I didn't think I would make it. I didn't think I can be. I didn't think I was a good conductor. I didn't think... I had any value that I can add to the world um, or I could make impact until the pandemic hit. All my friends 
had no jobs, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. for conductors. We could only make videos. <laughs> yep. We all started to learn video editing <laughs> and <laughs> creating um clicks <laughs> and do all that. And I was so frustrating because I saw as technology, just as, as I saw as um social media, and um it was such a terrible time that I was just looking through social media and seeing a few people still very active. They have gigs not canceled or these people are doing this talk and they have some creative ways to do this. So I thought maybe this time, this is time. Now we all have time from the canceled gigs. We should do something. So I reach out to all the people who um, who filled up my survey. I say, hey, I think this is a great time to do something. Do you want to join me? And mm-hmm. five great colleagues said yes. So the six of us created the very first high school and college um, mentorship program. And that's how we started. And we have grown into the annual programs that we are doing now. And it all started from us losing jobs all at sudden and wanted to use this time to share with the younger generation what we wish that we had learned at their age. That's how we started that program. We wanted to tell them every single thing that no one had told us. We want to tell them all the mistakes that we made um, that they could avoid. Or we talk about very sensitive um, topics like how to dress if you have a curvy figure, if you're very thin, um, if you don't look powerful enough on the podium that you're very lightweighted, what do you do? Or like when you're being criticized or being called honey, sweetheart on a podium while mm-hmm. the others are conductors and you're the sweetheart. Yep. Yep. So that's what Girls Conduct is currently at. And we are hoping in five or 10 years time, we will be able to reach many, many more people by partnering with more organizations, festivals, or universities to offer satellite conducting workshops so we can get together and actually conduct instead of just doing Zoom sessions. Um, and also to have a middle school curriculum so we can reach out to even younger musicians want to be. That's amazing. And so many great points you made there. And I think the issues that we have experienced growing up is what creates the mentorship process, right? So the older generation has had certain experiences, both positive and negative, and that's informing how we can further mentor the next generation. And I think that brings up an excellent point and that a lot of organizations are trying to do to realize the gender equity gaps we have in classical music in general, not just in conducting. There are a bunch of organizations that focus on all different facets of the professional music world and creating those mentorship relationships 
Um, because oftentimes, you know, there, there aren't that many women conductors out there and just like, uh, there are not that many women band directors out there. And so it's nice to even just form a connection with someone who understands where you have been, who has been through the same experiences as you and connect in that way. And I also love how there's a practical application to this as well. You're providing these young, uh, non-binary and women folks with, the tools that are necessary to be successful, um, practical application type things, not just a, oh yes, these inequities exist. It's a big problem. End of story. You're actually providing them with, I wish I knew this when I was your age and some actual solutions, which is what I love to see. I'm a very much a person that's like, if I'm going to go to something, I need to learn something, right? I need to take something away that I can apply to my career or what I'm doing actively day to day. So I think it's really amazing that you have both of those things, that mentorship piece, the relationships building, and then also that practical application there, I think is really great. Um, and it's an excellent organization that you have started um, along with your colleagues. And, and I'm really impressed with all, all the work that you're, you're doing there, because I wish something like this existed when I was 16 years old. That would have been so great. You know what I mean? So it's so nice that we are able to provide these resources for younger generations. So if there is a young person listening right now that wants to become a part of Girls Who Conduct, um, how would they go about, you know, um, being a part of this organization, uh, signing up, joining one of your sessions? How, how would they uh, do that? So you can find all the information at our website, girlswhoconduct.org, or follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook. The handle is the same, Girls Who Conduct. Um, we post our programs um, regularly, update them um, as soon as we have any inf new information. Right now, we just started the early um, career program and also the high school college mentorship program. So the next round of the high school college division will open in fall 2022. Um, but Throughout the year, we will be offering some one-time workshops or symposium that we are still evaluating um, about time and format. Um, so just follow us or send us an email and we are happy to answer any questions that you might have. That's awesome. And I guess my, my last question for you um, has to do with just your career in general. So it can be a specific facet of your career that, that you are working towards or something like that, or, or just a general career goal. Um, but what is something that you're hoping to change or progress in classical music? So it can be with one of your orchestras or with your educational programs. What's something that you're hoping some goal that you have um, for the future? One thing that I really love to see going to the future is because of the diversity call in the recent years, we started to see organizations performing works by underrepresented composers. And mm -hmm. this sometimes feels like a checkbox to fill. You mm -hmm. put one work into three, like one work out of three concerts and then you've done it, which is not the case, um, but I am the optimistic person. I felt one piece is better than no piece. So if mm -hmm. you're only comfortable for starting one, that's totally awesome. 
if your donors or your board is only comfortable for one piece out of the entire season, that's okay. But make sure that the next season you add one more. They can handle two, I promise you. And there are a lot, lot of great, great music that deserve to be heard. And the more diverse and inclusive we are with our music, the more people we can actually reach out to. And that's a problem or really a challenge for all performing arts organization now because we, we need to connect with the people we are serving. But if we don't look at the people that we are serving and understand what their background, what they like, where they're coming from, there's no way that we can connect with them with our snobby um, classical standard only piece. I'm not saying those pieces are not good. They are great. They are masterpieces and I grew up loving all of them. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. there are some other really wonderfully written pieces that are worth exploring. And I wanna encourage every single person to just to Google a new composer that you've never heard of and try out a piece or two. If you don't like it, it's totally okay. Just try it. Just try to program a piece. If it doesn't work, it's okay. It's only five minutes or 10 minutes when you are starting out, but don't give it up. It's a great thing to do. Awesome. I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, for sharing your life and your experiences and some of the awesome organizations that you are a part of and you helped create. It's really inspiring to hear about how much you are helping youth and also underrepresented composers as well. So I want to thank you again so much uh, for, for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I think your podcast is one of the most wonderful things that happened during the pandemic. So we can hear (laughs) all the great stories and meet all the awesome people. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Both of us started during the pandemic. So that's great. (laughs) Yes. Civil lining. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.